special thanks to tuning in to Cross Training, where we look at faith and practice in a biblical lens to help start conversations in a Christ-like manner. I'm your host, Matthew Thompson. And I'm Tanner Higgins. We hope that you will join us today. And our, and our goal today is to make every part of God's Word practical in today's culture. But we have a guest today, a guest that is all in orange because he's a UT fan, and he decided to stop by. He was eavesdropping, uh, eavesdropping. Eavesdropped. I understand. <laughs> yes. Uh, he's dropped on us a couple episodes ago or whenever this will be uh, published. Uh, but uh, Mason Simmons, dude, it's glad to have you on, dude. Dude, I'm glad to be here. But he's a, a, a tech student. Tech? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, biochemical engineering. For so, now. For now. Yes. Uh, he's been called to preach for the past two uh, years? Just uh, pushing about a year and a half now, so I'm getting up on two years. Awesome. So how old are you? I am 19. 19, so he's a young pup. Yes, Young indeed. pup when it comes being called to preach, but you know what? Age doesn't matter, bro. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I remember you actually talking to me about that one day when I was uh, not really fighting, but dis- uh, dissecting the call, you know, if it really was or not. And I appreciated that little tidbit you gave me about Paul and Timothy, was it, I think? Yeah, uh, let them not despise your youth. Yep. Yep. I remember that. Dissecting? Do you dissect frogs in biochemical engineering? You know, I did actually in high school, and I have not. And I'm in biology this semester, so if we don't, I actually we're going online right now, so I don't think I'll get to. Dude, listen, when I was in biology, back a long time ago in middle school or whatever, they had like a computer program of dissecting frogs. So it wasn't a real frog; it was a gadgum computer <laughs> program, and you click it, and it like you give the the frog a zipper. You know, you open the chest up, and that's you're doing your, and it's like that doesn't make any sense. That's not fun. Hey, but we did cats, love. Oh, what? Cats? Cats? Never done a cat. Cats. How is that? Le- what? I don't know. Probably, probably where from was China. This? Where, where, where was this? <laughs> it was actually it was in high school. It was like Cookville High School. Freshman year in high school, I think. Man, get it together, Cookville. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we've got Mason with us. Uh, That'd be awesome if he became a regular, whatever you want to do. But we'll have uh, guests from time to time that just want to join in, or there might be scheduled guests. But let's yeah, help promote the topic at hand, which yes. is unity. Unity. This season's about unity. And I know if, unironically, I'm a dad, okay? So I'm going to make dad jokes. We're sitting at the round table, nights at the round table. I made this joke a couple times, but that's all right. We're all equal together in God's kingdom. Yes. Yeah, we'll get into that. Awesome. So we're talking about unity, and uh, the last episode we talked about, you know, what is unity? Where did it come from? Where did disunity come from? And where can reunity, is that a word? Reunite. Reunite. The reuniting of Assembling. God's people and God. Reconciliation between God and man, yeah. which is through the blood of Christ. Um, so today we're going to be talking about church community. And I know, Mason, this is kind of something that's near and dear to your heart is the church, the body, mm-hmm. uh, being called to preach. Uh, I don't. Do you know exactly kind of what you're being called in the mission wise? Are you calling to pastor to evangelize? I know it's young. I can setting, I can definitely feel a lean towards uh, pastoring at some okay. point in time, and whether that be a youth pastor or an actual, you know, pastor over the entire church, or just uh, you know in some form or way. Yeah, might be coming for <laughs> Seth's job here. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. I, I love Seth as a pastor, and, you know, I've learned a lot from him so yeah. far, and you, we've not even been here half a year hardly. So uh, looking forward to a lot more years, hopefully. Yeah. But, um, 
yeah, I'm excited to see what's in, in the future. Sweet. You know, you say Seth. I don't. I don't think we've established who uh, Seth Price is in the lore of cross training. Uh, he is the pastor here at the church that we record in, Cook and Fro-Bast. one and only sponsor. Yeah, our one and only. <laughs> not, I, I'd go further than sponsor. He is our one and only major investor. The, yeah. uh, the fine microphones we're able to use are by his good graces. So we, yes. we thank him and. Every episode ever is dedicated to him. Yes. God first, though, of course. God, God first. first. Seth God second. First. Close second. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Sethliness no. is uh, next to godliness. <laughs> <laughs> All right, unity. Awesome. Hey, we're trying to we're trying to gain unity here. Yeah. Well, let's set the tone with a uh, with some scripture if you want if you want to read something. Awesome. So uh, we'll be reading out of the uh, NLT, the New Living Translation, today. Uh, so we're going to start off, I'm going to read Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. And uh, it says, For where two or three gather together as my followers, and this is speaking of Christ, as, as Christ is, I'm here. I am there among them. So here we are, three guys, young, inexperienced theologians, Very untrained, but yet we, we desire God's word to, be, to permeate through our lives. We desire unity. So when two or three are gathered in the name of Christ to learn more about him, there he is among us. So what does he mean by there? Do you, when, so we're going to get into other scriptures too when it talks about in the New Testament. We talked mainly about the Old Testament last episode, but this one kind of focusing on the body at hand in the New Testament. So when Christ is talking about here is that I am among them. I am among them that follow me. Two are gathered in my name. So... What is he really meaning? What is he implying here when two or three are gathered together? What do you all think? Well, I think uh, context is key in a lot of ways. If we want to go just back to Scripture and figure out, like, where where is this verse coming from? Uh, Because verse 20 uh, out of chapter 18 of Matthew, which you just read from, is the last verse in a block of verses that starts with verse 15. And the section in the Bible I got in front of me right here, uh, again, again, uh, New Living Translation, it says, correcting another believer. And just to read a little bit out of it, verse 15 says, If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the uh, offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. And it kind of keeps that same tone throughout it until it hits yeah. that verse 20 that you read. So just going off the context in here to answer that question, that's talking about unity uh, amongst disunity ah. in the church. Being able to to find a Christian brothers and sisters, if in their wrongdoing, if you can take that to scripture, say, "Hey, brother, hey, sister, you're, there, something you're doing, it, it doesn't jive with what the word says to do. This, this isn't me calling you out uh, out of a fleshly desire to belittle you and make myself feel better. This is the word mm-hmm. and being intelligent about it and fostering unity through God's love." So this disunity that Christ is acknowledging here, He's addressing what was broken back all the way in Genesis. Exactly. He's saying, "Because of me." And because of Christ, I can create this bond that transcends what you guys are trying to do. You know, these things, these feeble things, if you know, fame is going to fail you, you know, you, uh, there's going to be people, friends, and uh, uh, communities, and there's going to be um, even politicians that are going to fail you. All of them. All of them. <laughs> they're all going to fail you. So when two or three are gathered in my name, if people gather because of me, I will bring function to this dysfunctional creation. So he's going to bring order back to the chaos that man created. So here's the thing I think I want to address is that I think this union that we have because of Christ 
is a privilege. It's not something that he has to give. Well, I mean, it's an element of the um, pre-fall Edenic nature that we mm-hmm. had. I mean, it, it's absolutely a privilege for us to enjoy something that existed back in the Garden of Eden after the fall. One guy I like to quote quite often uh, is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he says in his book, Life Together, he says, It is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. And so I think this is a, a wonderful gift that Christ offers to the believers, to the followers that choose to follow him and his life-giving blood on the cross, that we have this, this unity. Uh, I think, I'm not sure when this will be published, but when Jonathan, he made mention of like one thing that excites him to see that there is unity, that is that with these disaster relief stuff and um, Samaritan's Purse and uh, Red Cross, I mean, they're all Christian organizations, people that coming to rebuild what was destroyed. I mean, he, he's, I, which I haven't researched, but I'm sure they're out there, but it's not as many as the Christian ones. But when's the last time you've heard of a Jewish relief organization or an Islamic relief uh, organization or a atheistic relief organization. If you're going to weigh those out, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bet you money that the Christian organizations of disaster relief to help build communities outweighs those that are not Christian-based. Uh, This community that Christ initiated through his blood on the cross, it goes and creates communities in union where you wouldn't think could be made. So Haiti to China to North Korea to even to backwoods Tennessee, you have a commonality between these small groups or large groups of believers coming to worship God. You can basically jump if they're worshiping Christ correctly, two or three gathered in my name, if they're gathering in Jesus' name, you should be able to worship with any group around the world. Absolutely. If Christ is the focus. So the church community, and here's a Martin Luther quote, and this is where a question I want to propose to y'all. I think it should be addressed. Martin Luther, he says, the kingdom is to be in the midst of your enemies. And he who will not suffer this does not want to be of the kingdom of Christ. He just wants to be among friends, to sit among the roses and the lilies, not with the bad people, but just the devout people. O blasphemers and betrayers of Christ, if Christ did what you are doing, who would even be spared? So this type of community that we're talking about, this church community, this Christ-ocentric community, are there many bodies or many churches, small groups, whatever they say, that they say they're claiming to come together in the name of Christ? Are there some that do not desire or want to create a community? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that goes without saying. I mean, that's part of the fall. Like, we, we want to be around people that look like us, that think like us, that talk like us, that make the same amount of money that we do, or even better, less, so I can feel better about myself, right? Like, that, that's, yeah. that's part of the fall. It's part of the flesh. 
Um, I would like to, to think, I'd like to give churches the benefit of the doubt and say that they don't do it on purpose. I think that's something that you fall into over years of complacency and not challenging yourself against God's word and just assuming that you got it right. Like you, you're, you're the perfect church, and then that flesh takes over. Um, but, yeah, absolutely, that's 100% prevalent. And, and I totally agree. I think most churches do not mean to do it intentionally. I think it just comes time of being comfortable in the pews, being comfortable with what they've always been taught, yeah. be, com- be comfortable with what's been preached behind the pulpit or, or said behind closed doors or whatever, that they're not one to go out there. Yeah. Uh, but then there are some that claim to be in the name of Christ that exclude, strictly exclude anyone that is different from them. I think Westboro Baptist Church uh, is a, a key one that I think we need to abstain from, that we need to acknowledge and say, listen, they are demonizing anyone that is outside of the faith and not wanting to bring them in to the loving, open arms of Christ. And that's not what Christ is about. Yeah. Uh, us as 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 as, as Free Will Baptist, we, 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 our doctrine says that anyone that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Yeah. To viciously butcher a quote from the, uh, the book Autopsy of a Deceased Church by Tom Rainer, mm-hmm. I believe. Yes. Uh, he, again, this is a paraphrase. Not, I'm not even going to attempt to quote it. Uh, but it talks about how there's so many churches out there that like they become dead over time. It's not like one day you wake up and you go, oh, hey, my church is dead and we don't reach out to the community. We're not uh, following the Great Commission. You, you don't just wake up one day and like that's the case. It's like you don't wake up one day and realize, oh, hey, I'm 450 pounds and yesterday I was a nice 165. No, this stuff happens over time and you don't notice it, but you, you take on pound after pound of sin. Mm-hmm. Just over time, it goes unaddressed, and before you know it, you are a fat slop of a church that doesn't like the community. The Great Commission. That's good. The Great Commission says in, in Matthew chapter uh, 18, verse 19, it says, Go therefore and make disciples. So this is an action, a call to action. Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this is an action, a call to action, not just a sitting there doing nothing, twiddling your thumbs. What can the what can the preacher spoon food me today? Is it going to be carrot cake or is it going to be caramel apple pie? Yeah, yeah. This, I mean, it's definitely an issue that's prevalent in the church today. Um, mm-hmm. Mason, I don't reckon you have any input on like what you think a, a cause of this might be. Well, I, as far as a cause goes, I mean, it's just like kind of like what y'all have said. It's just them getting comfortable where they're at, and you know, I'm good, so life's good, church is good. You know, everything's how I want it. You know, people get too caught up with their feelings of, oh, you know, like, I like how everything's going, everything's smooth. But really, you know, like you said, you're dying inside spiritually and you don't even realize it. And that's some one of the saddest things. And, you know, and sometimes, you know, we like to put the blame on the preachers. But, you know, I can tell you from personal experience, you know, going to these other churches that, you know, a lot of pastors are trying to do things to get the church going you know they're trying to change some things they're trying to get some things going but you know there's some churches that you know i've even experienced personally that you know they get so caught up in tradition or just the way that they've always done things or they're comfortable and you know pastors you know really can't do anything at that point i mean they're one person versus the rest of the body of the church i mean they're there to feed the church but if the church doesn't want to be fed you know, if they don't want to open their doors to other people coming in or, you know, growing spiritually, I mean, 
just like you you said a little while ago, Tanner. You know that's that's the reason some pastors can't stay at churches as long as they want to. So yeah, and I think one of the truest quotes is that you know one of the dangerous things is to say that we that's the way we've always done it. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think I think you're exactly right, and I that's was I don't think that's intentional. I don't think most churches they would say, well, that's not us. That's not what we want. But it just becomes so prevalent, and that's why you see a lot of pastors just quit within five years. Mm-hmm. And when I was in Haiti, which in Haiti, there's churches within the mission that we that we are Mountain Faith Mission. There's churches all within on in that area. And I was talking to the lead pastor of uh, Mountain Faith Missions in Soto, and he said, "It's crazy." We never see this happen in Haiti, that pastors only stay for five to ten years in, in America, which is a long time in America. He says, you know, if you're pastor at a church, you're pastor for life. And I'm, and I'm thinking, you know, that's almost unrealistic in the States, in mm-hmm. the Western world. Because, I, and, and, I'm, and I'm thinking here, why? It's like, why is this, why is it in America that it only lasts this long, but in Haiti, it's a lifetime? And I think a lot of it has to revolve around is how the community, how the church brings in and accepting to the community, um, because Haiti, it's it's a dog eat dog world down there. You know, it's I mean, it, all they have is each other. They ha- they don't have basically anything else but each other. But here in America, I mean, we've got our bank accounts, we've got our four hundred one ks, we've got our nice fancy cars, our nice cushy jobs. We got all these material things, other than church, other than community, other than each other, that for time can sustain us. And I think um, uh, me and Matthew were talking a little bit here earlier, uh, but like synagogues in the Old Testament, what were the synagogues, Matthew? Well, there were places to convene and worship God. And it was only for as Sunday morning services. I'm having air quotes if you can't see. But they were community gatherings, basically a community center. Yeah. And it's and when I was in Israel, it was pretty cool going to the, one of these. It wasn't a, a real first century synagogue, but it was a rebuilt uh, imagining of a, of a first center, uh, century synagogue. And it's basically uh, a room, like a block room with pillars down it. And they have a place, like a, like a podium, and then all around it, is everyone is circled around uh, in stairs, just listening or watching to whatever. And so people go there. It's a place to commune. It's a place to talk about whatever stuff. So they did. They talked about the political climate, to church things, reading scripture, worshiping. So this is a place for the community to gather. That's why we call it gatherings on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to have to take this moment to call everyone at this table out for some serious heresy. Oh no. We've been we've been talking about the church for roughly 23ish minutes and we haven't brought up Acts yet. Let's dive back in the scripture. Acts, bro. All right, we got to go back to, to the origin of uh, Jesus Christ Christ himself's commands towards the church on how we should behave, how we should conduct ourselves. So, I want to read Acts chapter 10 here, not the whole chapter, don't worry. Um, and get into an event that Peter was involved in. I'm going to start in verse 11 and read through 16 and then hit some other verses as well. So God's word says, He saw the sky open, he being Peter, 
and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. So just quick input, what, what do we think God's saying there? I mean, obviously, I, I think everyone at this table knows this story, so feel free to give me a correct answer. I can eat bacon. Oh, man. Crazy. Crazy, right? Peter was the first Jew to eat, eat bacon. Hmm. <laughs> no, but he's, God is making a, a clear statement that he doesn't want discrimination based on what the current traditional laws dictate. So to go a little further into verse 28, uh, to preface Peter, he meets this Roman centurion named Cornelius. And this guy isn't the kind of dude that um, the church, air quotes, like that have been established so far, wanted to include in their day-to-day activities because they, they don't look like them. They're, they're not like them. They, they are others. Can I insert that every time I hear Cornelius, I think of Colonel Sanders. I don't know why. <laughs> I hear Cornelius, and I think of Colonel Sanders. So every time when I, when I read the scripture, I see a, yeah. a white guy with a white suit with white curly yeah. Cues. Well, I mean, in a way, they, they kind of see the same thing <laughs> in that they see someone different than them. So, I mean, yeah, that's perfectly relevant. I think uh, I saw him come to church the other day. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> Sorry. But uh, verse 28, uh, verse 28 and 29 says, Peter told them, You know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. And some more events transpire, and then I want to skip down to verses 34 and 35. It says, Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. So here you have a direct command to, to Peter, and thus to, to the church you can uh, gather, that God desires this multi-ethnic no discriminations. Everyone is welcome that will accept Christ's name. Like that, That's the gist of it. We should be the most accepting community of them all. We should not be closing our doors. That is how unity is achieved, according to Acts. Of course, Acts is a pretty good authority on how to operate the church, because that's one of the chief um, functions of it. But, I mean, there, there's plenty of other scripture that tackles this concept. Uh, Mason, I think you have one that you can read. Yeah, we'll look at uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 real quick. Um, and it reads, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your interests, but take an interest in others too. Um, and then I just want to go ahead and look at that last, uh, the fifth verse real quick. That's all right. And it says, uh, you must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Ooh. 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 Good stuff. Good stuff. I think that might as well, it might as well have been because I mean, <laughs> you must, you must, you must. I mean, <laughs> that's what Jesus said. You, Jesus said to strive, strive to be like me, even though I know that you will not be, I know you will fail, but that shouldn't stop you from trying. And I mean, how did Jesus act? I mean, he went. He ate with sinners. He had sinners who followed him around in the groups because, I mean, yeah. we, I mean, it would be 
ignorant of us to think that, you know, the three or 4,000 that followed him were just, you know, his believers, like, oh, yeah, like, go Jesus. I mean, no, it was pretty obvious and evident that some of them hated him. Judas. Yeah, and one of the 12 amongst him, you know, wound up betraying him. Exactly. So, I mean, Jesus knew everybody that was following him, and what did he do? He didn't stray anyone away. He accepted them because he wanted them to come into him. So, yeah, I think Jesus said the same thing. You know, put these other people above you, but be careful, you know. When you put them in front of you, don't do it to make yourself look good. You know, as I said, don't try to impress anybody. You know, when we do these things, we have to be careful, you know, because sometimes we can do it accidentally, absolutely, uh, trying to do things and make sure it makes us look good. I mean, all the time we can do that and not mean to. But we need to be careful to make sure, one, it's going to glorify God, and then, two, it's going to lift up his name and glorify him, but bring in somebody to his uh, kingdom, yeah. you know, bear fruit. You know, are we going to be able to bear fruit in this somehow? I mean, it doesn't have to necessarily have to be, you know, bringing sinners to Christ and know and accept him, but it could also be, you know, like as we do together uh, here with the podcast, you know, just feed from off one another, you know, grow in our re- relationship and fellowship with Jesus Christ together. So Amen. one of the things that I really hate it when someone says, is that when they have a comment about something of what to do, like a, like a an ethic or moral that Jesus teaches, and someone says, well, Jesus was just a perfect human being. He's just a perfect man. But Jesus taught it for a reason. Jesus wouldn't teach it or do it if it wasn't impossible. He's supposed to be the perfect example for us, as Paul says. So... When someone says that, and when we have that attitude, it's like, well, I can't be like Christ. He's the perfect man. I'm man. He's 100% man and 100% God. A lot of people forget that he was tempted just like us. Exactly. Exactly. And a lot of the temptations aren't recorded, but yet when he's the perfect helper and the perfect uh, interceder for us to God, he knows exactly what we've been through and what we will go through. Yeah. Just because, I mean, I mean, obviously there is the knowledge that we're not going to be Christ. I mean, there, there's only one one Christ, uh, one Jesus. But, I mean, just kind of driving the point home that you just made, we Drive should still it. strive to be like him. Yes. Like, simple as that. Like, yes, it, the finish line is further away than we can possibly ever see, but we should still run in that direction. Mm-hmm. 100%. And uh, just real quick, Mason, when... Tanner pointed out uh, Judas being uh, someone that hated Christ that he still accepted. I like that you uh, drove that point home as well, this idea of accepting someone that you actively know is going to be pulling some stuff mm. that doesn't need to be pulled. Like Now, what does that say to, to us needing to be like Christ when Christ set this example for having that foreknowledge, having that omniscience, knowing, I mean, goodness, it's all part of the plan, <laughs> that Judas is going to betray him and more or less have him killed. And not only still accepting him, letting him be one of the 12. Mm-hmm. Minister to him still. Oh, that's insane. I have a big spill about Judas I could give, but we'll save that for another time. <laughs> All right. All right. We might do that as its own episode later on. Who knows? We'll see. <laughs> uh, but to go back to that scripture in, in Philippians, there's a, a mention of selfishness. Hmm. And, I mean, goodness, every single problem that we've brought up that, that comes up in the church that disrupts unity, it comes down to selfishness. I mean, in the last episode when we discussed uh, how Adam is so quick to sell out Eve and even blame God, 
well, there's some selfishness. There, yeah. There's no selfless attitude of God. I messed up and I'm sorry. It's that instant. Oh, it, it wasn't my fault. It was it was the woman's fault. And you gave me the woman. So I mean, can you really blame me here? He didn't That's want to be. He didn't want to be made guilty in exactly. that situation. Exactly. This this lack of selflessness. This selfishness is the root of the vast majority of problems. Uh, it's like when uh, Mason, when you briefly brought up the like pastors that come in and have these ideas for change and really want to adhere to scripture, but people are too comfortable and they, they're too selfish. They don't, they don't want to look at, uh, they don't want to look inwards and go, maybe there's some cleaning up that I need to do in my life. And that's not to say that pastors are all perfect and they come in with uh, perfect scriptural concepts a hundred percent of the time. I mean, everyone is flawed. Mm -hmm. no, no one is Christ, but we still need to be strive to be like Christ, strive for that selflessness. So, the question arises, how do we have unity? How in the world do we have this unity that Christ and Paul is talking about? And so we kind of, we talked about it here, and the first point that we were wanting to make is to have good spiritual practices. And in the short run of things, those spiritual practices is what Christ teaches. Oh, yeah. What the New Testament talks about union and, and unity and what Paul is teaching and what James says. Uh, so... In the short run of things, if we want if we want to see unity, look at Christ, and look at the practices that we need to practice daily. The second one we want to uh, point out is that we need to have the right attitude. Attitude goes a long way. Mm -hmm. Which I mean that you could tie that right back to to Philippians with that selfishness. Yeah. I mean that that permeates so many areas of just the way we think. I mean it it's almost a natural response. Uh, one good example of selfishness within the church is. When you see people like up on the stage uh, during praise and worship, like playing instruments and such, or when you look at the pastor, like the the skills that are, that are necessary to to be a pastor, to answer the call to preach, those abilities you might you might lust after that. You might yeah. go, man, I wish I had that. And that's I mean that's discord within the body of Christ. And there I mean there are plenty of analogies to be made there. Um, I mean goodness, there's the the casting crown song. We are the body, body of Christ. Yeah, I mean that, that's it's a popular song for a reason. There's a lot of truth to it. Uh, viewing these different members of the church body as actual parts of a body is a very easy way to illustrate, um, I mean, how the body of Christ is supposed to work. I mean, a finger isn't an elbow. Uh, a knee isn't a thigh. Like, they all have their individual functions. And I'll go so far as to say that if your different body parts had thoughts and feelings and could voice them, uh, for instance, if you if you ask an elbow, hey, hey, elbow, how do, how do you feel about being an elbow? Like, what, how do you feel about your job? Uh, doing your part to keep my body functioning. They're probably going to go, well, I'm, not, I'm not doing anything important. I'd, I'd much rather be a foot because the feet are able to, to take you from place to place. They're, they're really important. I mean, you look at your feet and you're probably proud of those feet because the, the, the places they've taken you, the things you've been able to do as a result of them, what, what am I? I'm just mm -hmm. an elbow. Well, if I didn't have elbows, then my life would be significantly more difficult. I, good luck eating with, with arms without elbows. Elbows are necessary. Are they praised? Rarely. I mean, you see them thrown in UFC every once in a while, but outside of that, <laughs> there's not much to write home about with elbows. They're funny every now and then when you no, get it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> goodness, how could I forget? If anything, elbows are detrimental. I mean, they're, they're known for hitting people in UFC and hitting furniture and making you feel like your arm's about to fall off. <laughs> That's about it. Not much to write home about. Yeah, this that body analogy is extremely relevant. Mm -hmm. uh, and to take it just a little bit further, not to dwell on these metaphors for too long, uh, but another good way to talk about people that may think they're insignificant in the church, that they don't have mm -hmm. anything that they're bringing to the spiritual table, so to speak, uh, you could also compare people to trees, go back to that Edenic design, 
where God had all of his creation before uh, man was brought into the fold, when God was putting all these trees in the Garden of Eden, and most of them had fruit. Well, I don't know if most of them had fruit. A lot of them had fruit, though. We know that much. But there were plenty of trees that were just there to look at, that were glorifying God just by existing. Beauty. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if, if what you're doing for Christ in, in your spiritual life is sitting in a pew, being a solid prayer warrior, listening to, to God's word uh, delivered by your preacher, that's worshiping God. Like, no feet is too small for him. And amen helps every once in a while, too. I can it's, tell you that. Don't set the tone. Please. Don't set the tone. So all these analogies are nice and fun. Uh, and to be honest, perfect way of teaching. Jesus taught in parables. Mm. Why? Because oh, yeah. it's... It's, it's applicable. It's easy to, to relate to. So uh, but let's talk about a little bit of Scripture here. In James chapter 4, verse 1, uh, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Do they not come from evil desires at war or battles within you? And so when it comes to people causing this disunity within the body of Christ, which should be the physical manifestation of what unity should look like. So when when you look up the definition of church as a body of Christ, you should say you should see community and unity harmoniously together. But when people are are, are coming against each other and attacking within the body, this is very dangerous. And this question arises as James, the brother of Jesus, says, what's causing this? What is causing this, the, these battles, these wars, this stuff, that's, these quarrels within the body of Christ? And, it's, and he says, it comes from within you. It comes from within me. So it goes back to creation. It becomes a problem within your heart. It becomes a heart problem. The reason I have conflict is that I have a heart problem, and it's an inner man issue. Gossip is one of the easiest transitions into dis- disunity in the body of Christ. Gossip breeds discord. And it goes further. It, it goes another step. And jealousy, it intensifies this discord. And then a step further into action brings into anger. And anger can manifest that hatred for harmony. So I like that you bring up anger because anger is one of the many emotions that we're able to experience. And since we have this, um, I mean, we're made in God's image, right? So the fact that we have emotions comes from the fact that God has emotions. I mean, he's he's felt them. It's in Scripture. Uh, And even Jesus experienced anger, although it was righteous anger, and it was uh, acted upon in a wise manner, in a correct manner. Uh, Jesus wasn't flying off the cuff doing things that were illogical. Uh, he was furthering his kingdom through expressing that righteous anger. So I think it's important to put out there that, um, well, for one, there's a book called Why Emotions Matter uh, by John and Tristan Collins. A fantastic book, highly recommended. And it has uh, each individual chapter of that book talks about a different emotion and how we can utilize that emotion through a biblical lens and analyzing, like, why, why are these emotions here? Why do they matter? How can I use those to glorify God's kingdom? And, of course, it has a chapter on anger and establishes that it's, uh, the motion of anger is a signal that expectations haven't been met. So while anger can turn a church inside out and destroy its testimony, 
you can use the energy from anger to recognize, hey, why, why am I angry? What am I angry at? I'm not angry at this person. I'm angry at what sin has wrought upon our relationship. Mm-hmm. How can I recognize that? How, how can I be wise about addressing that? And how can I reconcile with my Christian brother and or sister and figure out how to tackle the problem head on instead yeah. of causing this disunity? One of those you know, righteous angers that you talk about, if we wanted to bring up a topic in today's times, um, the abortions that's going on into America today, mm-hmm. you know, that is something to be righteously angry about because that is taking innocent life. You know, it, God says, I knew you from the womb. Well, I mean, if that tells me anything, that tells me, well, God valued me before I was even alive. So, I, so we as humans should do the same thing. And um, the righteous anger, you know, anger, anger is a good thing, but it's like a fire. You know, fire is good, but in proportions and in controlled amounts. You know, sometimes we can let things set within us and like we'll say we'll set a fire. We can set a good campfire, but if left unattended and with too much fuel, what is it going to do? It's going to burst into a bonfire or a wildfire that can set, you know, things like even forest or homes on fire. And it can get uncontrolled uncontrollably large very mm-hmm. rapid very quickly and us not even know we can just leave it unattended for a short amount of time and it's same thing with anger you know we can let anger sit there and build up and do all these things but if we just leave it there with enough fuel with enough hatred in our hearts it can take off very quickly and leave us in a very very dark place spiritually and i mean socially with other people within the church and yeah. our communities you know, in, in righteous anger, we see that even Christ had got a little upset when mud was tracked through his his house, through his father's house, you know, of, of taking advantage and selling things within the temple. We see that he got angry, uh, but yet he didn't allow that to use the whips to scourge the men that were selling it. Scripture says, if you look at the Greek, it was only towards he shoot out the, the, the sacrifices. He didn't whip the men so it was controlled it was righteous and it was right for, for him doing that but he didn't allow that to get out of control and to have true unity and have the community that God has designed we do not need to allow a lot of these emotions anger uh, to get out of control and gossip is one of those things that it, it's that fuel to that fire it's that oxygen and uh, excess wood. Only you can prevent forest fires. Who said that? So Smokey the Bear. Smokey the Bear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So only you, listener, can prevent church fires. Spiritual. Spiritual yeah. fires. The bad kind, though. Spiritual fires can be good. But, I mean, oh, well, oh, yeah. oh. Yeah, okay. Like the song, Start Sorry. a Fire in Me. Start a fire we, in we want the good fire. The good fire, bro. But we want the holy fire. The holy fire. The holy yes. fire. We don't want none of that. The bad. No. <laughs> Anyways. I, I almost said we don't want none of that hellfire, and I was like, oh, I can't say <laughs> no, that. There's no, no fire no. in hell, Mason. <laughs> a lake of fire. There you go. Different there we place. go. <laughs> All right, so this uh, will end of the episode on uh, church community. We're going to be continuing on uh, in the next one. All right, see you.